Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Code. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room. And today, this is going to be a fun conversation. We've got Bill Stahl joining us. He is a local running coach here in the Denver, Colorado area. Uh, He's been a running coach for years. Uh, Specifically right now, he's coaching cross country and track and field in high school. And we'll let him share a little bit more of his background. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Code. My pleasure. I'm really excited to join you today. This is great. Yeah, yeah, this will be fun. I see you've got a, a Leadville shirt there on through the Zoom uh, Zoom screen, but uh, will you just give me and, you know, all the listeners that are tuning into this a little bit of a background about yourself on, you know, where'd you come from? How'd you get into running? How'd you get into coaching? And um, yeah, just sort of paint that picture for us. Yeah, well, I, um, I've been everywhere, so to speak. So <laughs> Uh, well, I grew up in New York and moved out here 40 years ago. So uh, as my mom says, don't let your kids move to Colorado. They never come back. And so that's kind of been the case with me. And I'm currently coaching at Bear Creek High School, I coach the uh, cross country and track teams there. And I've been pretty much everywhere. I've coached everywhere from small schools like Platte Canyon High School up in Bailey, small 2A school to the bigger schools, the 5A schools like Horizon and um, all over the place. So I, I won't even list all the schools. It's, it gets kind of crazy. I've coached at small schools like Denver Lutheran, Holy Family. Yeah, you know, it's been a great ride. I also coach adults. So ah. um, I've got, I, I do help out at Revolution Running, which is a local running group. It's got uh, groups that run all over. I, I'll be out there tonight with the runners uh, doing a little run around Sloan's Lake and awesome. having a little social time with them. I also have uh, runners I coach all over the country and all over the world. Um, you know, with the tools we have these days, we can, I can coach them using training peaks and work everything with ultra runners to even some MMA fighters that I coach. Oh, awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. We'll have to dive in, dive into some of that, but you know, I think that's funny. You said, uh, you know, mom say, don't let their kids move to Colorado because they don't come <laughs> back. Um, I, I am going through that same conversation with my family right now. Um, you know, I'm from Wisconsin. Uh, I've moved a couple other places before moving to Colorado, but obviously out here in Colorado now. And uh, my mother asks me, you know, you know, when are you moving? When are you moving home? When are you moving back to Wisconsin? Uh, and, you know, I don't know if we are. That's that's not the plan right now. So we'll see where life takes us. But uh, I'm right there with you. So so how long have you been out here in Colorado now? For, 40 years? 40 years. Yeah. Came out here 4th of July of 1981. And you didn't go back. You're basically a native of Colorado from what it sounds like to me. I've been here two years. So what you don't hear me dropping my R's or the fact that uh, I I'm going to diss every kind of pizza, except for the really good New York pizza. You know what? That's, that's something too, where, you know, I, I love pizza. I like kind of all kinds of pizza. Um, but my wife is from the Chicago area. Um, there's obviously a lot of deep dish pizza and stuff going on around there. But as I've moved to different places of the country, you know, Kansas city, Denver area. That's one thing that it it's tough to find a really good pizza in some of these places. Um, they just don't compare to what I'm, what I'm used to. No, definitely not. You, well, 
being from your area, you have no idea what pizza is anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we'll have to, uh, if you find um, somewhere that would be accessible, a good place to go to get a nice slice or uh, actual pizza, you let me know and I'll go try it out. You know, I always promise people on my podcast, I'm not going to ask them what their favorite pizza toppings are because nobody cares. But I, I will tell you, Anthony's pizza is the best pizza in Denver. Okay. I'm going to write that down. I might have to go, my wife and I'll go check it out. Yeah. Cool. There you go. Well, so, so let's, uh, let's dive into this and, you know, we'll probably end up talking a fair bit about, about running and about coaching and your kind of experience. Um, but you're a running coach, both in school and with people out of school locally and, and virtually at other places. Um, how, what's your running journey? Like, how did you get into running? You know, how old were you? What's your sort of like running story? You know, you asked me also about how I got into coaching, and I would say both of those were sort of accidental. Mm -hmm. um, it, it wasn't planned. I mean, I wasn't a uh, big high school star or anything. I played some sports in high school, but it wasn't really until I got to college that I got the running bug. And um, back in those days, and we're talking a long time ago, there was nothing on the internet. There was not a lot written out there. So I got into running very stupidly. And, you know, I started running, um, ran my first 10K probably back in 1977 or 78. And within a year, I was running my first marathon. Really Ooh, stupid. Quick oh, yeah. transition. Oh, yeah. And I was running in shoes that today we would probably call cross trainers. Mm -hmm. I was wearing cotton clothing because, you know, performance clothing didn't exist back then. Sure. So um, my, my feet were trashed. My, uh, I was chafed like hell. I still remember I couldn't get in the shower for three days afterward pretty much without being in pain because my nipples were so destroyed. Yeah, you know? from the shirt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, there was nowhere to read about, oh, you're supposed to put Band-Aids on your nipples. I mean, you know, that stuff didn't exist. So, yeah, I got into yeah. it very early. And really just found my own way um, because there, there wasn't a lot of guidance, you know, found some running clubs uh, eventually. And um, but yeah, got into it. I ran my first quote ultra, you might say Pikes Peak Marathon back in 1984. Mm -hmm. um, I, I ran it three times in the 80s and uh, I, I ran my first Leadville 100 in 1992. So right. way back in the early days. And it was uh, again, I even found Leadville accidentally because um, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I'd run marathons. Marathons feel really terrible when you're done. Okay. I, I know how bad a marathon can feel. And somebody said to me in 91, Hey, I got this guy running this race up in Leadville, hundred miles. You want to go up and watch? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds interesting. And of course the race had only started in the mid eighties. So it wasn't that old. It wasn't big at all. And went up there and little did I know the next year I'd be running the race. And I, I actually ran it as a fundraiser at a school where I was coaching the, um, I was coaching basketball the scoreboard died in the middle of a game. And so I actually ran the hundred miler as a fundraiser to get money for a new scoreboard. Oh, wow. In the high school gym. I did all these crazy promotional stunts. I would run around halftime, run around the court at halftime, uh, selling chances to people, how many times I could run around the basketball court during the course of a halftime and <laughs> <laughs> just things like that. So I, I ran the first Leadville um, basically as a fundraiser. Wow. Um, didn't finish my first one. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, I felt great, actually. I just, I didn't realize you're not supposed to hang out in the aid stations and talk to people and you know, have a good <laughs> time. So there are actually photographs of me shooting hoops after I got cut off from the Leadville race at Twin Lakes at mile 60. Uh, back then, the aid station was in the firehouse and there was a hoop in there. I was shooting hoops. I was feeling so good. I just missed the time cutoff because I wasted so much time. So, oh, wow. 
Yeah. You know, usually the stories that I've heard and we, I just did a uh, podcast recording. It's not uh, as of the recording of this one, it's not live yet, but it, it will be soon. I'll probably release it around that time. Um, around the Leadville time, but we were talking with another woman who's run it multiple times. And, you know, usually people don't finish it for other reasons, either their body fails them or their, their fueling strategy fails them. And that leads to their body failing them or, or whatever. Um, it, you were feeling good. You were shooting hoops. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know it was kind of ridiculous there. I am wearing running tights and a headlamp shooting hoops. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. wh- whatever. And then I did finish it the first time in 94. Uh, I went back and um, learned not to spend so much time in the aid stations. And mm-hmm. back then there were only like 175 of us in the race. It's pretty crazy how small wow. Leadville was back then. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you know when the Leadville uh, race actually started? I believe it was 83. Okay. But uh, don't hold me to that. It was somewhere right around then. Yeah. Approximately 10 years uh, before you did it. So, so what happened with the scoreboard? I assume you guys got a new one. Yeah, no, we got new scoreboards. In fact, when Holy Family moved their school from North Denver up to Broomfield, they even took those scoreboards with them. Oh, wow. But, uh, but yeah, we raised enough money for new scoreboards in the school, which was cool. Yeah, I have no clue what a scoreboard costs. But, um, you know, in some of these new stadiums that they're they're building for all these professional sports and whatnot, man, the um, the screens and the scoreboards really make make the experience and make the stadiums. So they're doing some pretty fancy things. So scoreboards yeah, are important. No, this, this was basic back then. <laughs> no jumbotron. I, I, I think it was, I think we raised about five grand if, yeah. if I recall, but yeah, that was back in the eighties. Well, those scoreboards sure beat the, beat the heck out of, you know, having like the little scorekeeper and timekeeper that like kind of sits on the table at like a wrestling meet or a, a local little, you know, club basketball game or stuff, something like that, having an actual scoreboard on the wall. Beats the well, when the, the scoreboard broke, uh, we actually had to pull out the old flip numbers like you're talking about, yeah. air, air horn, and, you know, so that's why we needed a new scoreboard. Heck yeah, you did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so so you got into running kind of by accident. You built up your, you know, your your volume of running short races to running long races. It sounds like, you know, relatively quickly. And um, you just kind of like learned on the fly. It sounds like of, you know, I was wearing the yeah. wrong shoes. I was wearing the wrong clothes. Well, you know, not necessarily the wrong ones. A lot of the stuff that's out there today wasn't available uh, right. when, when you were doing it then. So you were just wearing what you had access to. Um, so, so then how did you go from like, you were running, you're running these races. How did you start to make that transition into coaching other people um, in their running journey? Yeah, as I mentioned, Andrew, it was kind of accidental even that I got into coaching as well. Um, I was doing a track workout by myself, and uh, I had this uh, young, eager guy from uh, Michigan come up to me. And, you, you know, I'm from New York. I'm kind of like, you know, hey, who the fuck are you? And, uh, you know, and he comes up and um, we, we just started, you know, we got to be friends uh, just doing this track workout. Um, ironically enough, Dave Good is still like one of my best friends Oh, wow. here, um, you know, almost 40 years after we both moved to Colorado. And um, basically his girlfriend at the time was uh, was teaching at a small parochial school in the Five Points area, North Denver, kind of a rough neighborhood, and okay. said, hey, they need a basketball coach. He knew how much of basketball I was into. And I was a grad student at the University of Denver at the time. So I was like, yeah, I got some time there. So uh, for the next five years, I coached basketball at this little okay. inner city okay. school. And at that point, then I moved to Holy Family High School to coach basketball. And one of the assistant coaches there, Steve Blair, who's still a really good friend of mine to this day also, uh, needed 
more track help. So that's uh, how I ended up getting recruited into uh, coaching high school track. Yeah. And eventually that led to cross country and, and so on. Oh, that's awesome. That's well, you know, you said that guy, you said his name was Dave. I think he's from Michigan. Us Midwesterners are hard workers. So it doesn't, doesn't strike me or surprise me that he saw you doing a track workout and then he was, he wanted to, uh, you know, kind of chat with you about that because one thing that I know is Midwesterners aren't afraid of a little bit of hard work from what I can tell. So. <laughs> you put up with some pretty crappy weather too. That, that's for sure. Yeah. Winters yeah. out here in Colorado are pretty easy if you ask me. And I'm sure you feel the same coming from New York. Well, the uh, winters are great. As I tell people, it's the spring that sucks. Yeah. And this track season has been a nightmare. Uh, we had a meet yesterday. Actually, it was fantastic weather. Finally warm. And, yeah. Yeah. But you know, you, we've been dealing with this wind and it's supposed to crop up again tomorrow. The mm -hmm. horrible wind is just, it is yep. very havoc with our track season. So yeah, spring the, sucks here. The wind. And then the, you know, it seemed like, um, every, every week, like right there in the middle of the week, probably on the nights when you guys are about to have track meets or like I substituted playing some softball games with some friends and uh, one of my coworkers. And it's like every Wednesday night, it has been cold for the last, you know, like four right. weeks. And it's like always on Wednesday. It's like the weather's beautiful. And then Wednesday it drops down to like 35 degrees and we're outside playing softball. Your hands are freezing type of thing. Um, well, what's yeah, happened is Mondays have been beautiful yeah. and we yeah. don't have meets. Tuesdays we have meets and those are the days that are windy as hell yeah. preceding that Wednesday cold. You're yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've yeah. actually had on our house, we have a little, uh, you know, we have a little flag pole um, that's like both uh, screwed into this wooden pillar and a flag sticking out. Out where we live in Southern Littleton, the wind has been crazy. And I've had to take that flag down a few times because I think it's just going to like break right off the side of the house. <laughs> oh, I, I believe it. Just going crazy. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Running into the wind, cycling into the wind, all that stuff out here. That's, uh, that's like the hardest part going straight into the wind sucks. But, um, but yeah, the Springs, they, you know, they can tend to, to drag on for quite a while until we finally start getting some warm weather. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we're, on the up and up there, but who knows? I, I hear out here that, you know, you don't want to, um, bank on the warm weather sticking around until you get well past mother's day and whatnot. I think it's Memorial day actually. Mm. Yeah. You know, Memorial day actually is, uh, the weekend that my wife and I moved out here. So this Memorial day weekend, the Saturday, right before it will be two years, uh, since we've lived out here now, Memorial day is a little bit oh, late congrats. this year. So date wise on the calendar, it'll actually be two years right before that, but, Very cool. um, you know, still pretty, still pretty new to, uh, to Colorado, all things considered, but man, compared to other places that I've lived, the, the running community and just the fitness lifestyle community is so prevalent out here compared right. to some of the other places that I've lived. Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, people, I think maybe move here for the outdoor community or they stay here for that. I, I think mm -hmm. that's a big draw for me is that yeah. uh, it's really easy for me to hop in my car and within 15 minutes, I'm running on a mountain trail and all I'm going to see are maybe birds and deer as opposed yeah. to, you know, running in the city. And the nice thing too, is I can hop on my bike, which I often do and go to a Rockies game at Coors Field. And I'm, I'm at the stadium in 15 minutes on my bike. Yeah. So I've got the best of both worlds here, which I certainly didn't have in New York. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, what part of New York are you from? Um, actually mostly Long Island. Uh -huh. So, um, Huntington, which is about uh, 40 miles east of New York city mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the North yeah. shore. So, so yeah. right there in the thick of things. Um, 
So, okay. So you got into coaching, you're coaching basketball, you're coaching track that blends into, into cross country and whatnot. Um, you've been coaching for a long time now. And I guess I'm going to ask you kind of like a broad question um, from a coaching perspective in terms of running. If we start talking about cross country and track over the years that you've been coaching, uh, these youth athletes, like what are some of the trends that you've seen since you've been in the coaching scene for, for so long? Um, like you've been coaching, you know, as long as I've been, as long as I've been alive, quite frankly, like what are some of the things and changes that you've seen along the way from a, from a running standpoint, aside from maybe the, you know, the shoe and clothing development, like you sort sure. of alluded to earlier. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I've learned in the years of coaching is you can't beat kids anymore the way you used to be. <laughs> no, <laughs> no yes, that's they, true. Yeah. It, it actually isn't a way true, but I'm not going to go there, but um, it's to me, the biggest issues with kids these days is how busy they are. Yeah. You yeah. know, they have so many things going on and so many conflicting schedules. I mean, I got kids who are like involved with Western airs right now, which is like this horse riding thing. Um, and it takes up a lot of time. I get kids who are involved in club soccer or club volleyball or whatever it is. So to find kids who want to be dedicated enough to the sport of running track cross country, mm -hmm. it's harder and harder. Usually yeah. once they find that they enjoy it, they have success, they will be more focused on it. But you get a lot of those kids who are kind of in between who have so many things going on. And of course, then they've got school commitments, they've got work commitments, and yep. it's, it's really hard to get them all focused. Um, the, the ones who are involved in the, the clubs, I, I think are the most problematic in a way because they are so inflexible and parents pay, you know, most schools charge like a hundred and 25, 150 bucks, whatever per season for the kids to participate in high school sports. Right, right. They join up with a club soccer programs, for instance, or club volleyball, and they, it can cost thousands a year. Yeah. And somehow yeah. they put more value in those club sports because of the money they paid. Sure. And so the, the, the high school sports definitely get the short shrift there. And I don't think a lot of parents understand the uh, mathematical equation. So um, I'll throw this out at here, here, Andrew, one out of every 200 girls who plays high school soccer gets a scholarship one out of 200. That's not many. And most of those girls who are playing high school soccer are fairly serious because, you know, they're doing both their team, their high school team club in girls running. It's one out of 60. Mm. And if you go to the average high school track team, half of those girls are there for social reasons. Mm. Uh, a part of the reason is that the NCAA for scholarship purposes, because of title nine considers cross country and track to be two separate sports, whereas for boys, it's one sport. So by definition, you have twice as many girls scholarships. So I get college coaches all the time who send letters and say, do you know any girls who want a scholarship? Yeah. yeah. That's, wow. that's, that's what it's like. And so these parents who buy into the club culture, I don't think they've done the math. They're spending all these thousands thinking, I'm going to get my girl a college scholarship. And I'm picking on girls here. This applies to boys in a lot of cases too. But the odds of them getting a scholarship are really small compared to running. Mm -hmm. so, well, those, those statistics, and I remember, um, and we'll get into this in a little bit. I know I was on your podcast recently and we kind of talked about the same thing. And we took this down a route of, sports specialization, injuries, and all, all this type of stuff. But I was just doing a little bit of math there on my phone. If I have this right, one on 200 um, soccer scholarships is at like half of a percentage point. 
um, of, of the people of the girls in this case would get a scholarship. Whereas one in 60, I think you said, um, is 1.6, one, one and two thirds percentage. So, I mean, when we start breaking down percentage points, that's a huge difference. Half of a percent compared to one and a third percent. Um, still, obviously the numbers aren't, aren't big. Many people go to school without being on athletic scholarships, but sure. that's a major difference. Absolutely. And again, when I point out that half those girls on the call on a high school team are not there real seriously anyway. So right. really your, your odds are even improved if you are at least a bit serious about the sport. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I've seen, um, you know, compared to some of the times and things, obviously I was, I was a bit more doing sprinting when I was in high school, but, um, there are some amazing times being run out here in Colorado and at all other schools across the country by these high school students. Um, the ones who probably are taking it pretty seriously, there are some amazing running performances being, um, being done. Yeah. And circling back to your earlier question, we are seeing just incredible performances in Colorado here. I mean, we've always been known as a distance running state mm -hmm. and that's not to say we haven't had our share of decent sprinters or pole vaulters or whatever, but the distance runners, um, some of them are descended from other Olympians that live here. You know, you get, uh, you know, some, some of these kids, but we have, um, some programs that have started up like real training, for instance, up in Niwot, or you have like uh, the Colorado coyotes, which is a youth program down in Littleton that is raising these kids up. But all of a sudden yeah. we're seeing this huge influx of amazing times. Now, last year, I think provided a very interesting situation, unique. It's not going to happen again, hopefully, because of the pandemic. We had a very short cross-country season, ended in mid-October. Mm -hmm. Track season didn't begin until April. And yeah, yeah, so um, normally we begin track season the very beginning of March. Well, all of a sudden these kids had, I think, and this is my theory, they had six months pretty much to train. And, you know, there wasn't much racing going on at all. Yeah. We had amazing times. Like this, the boys' mile time, record in Colorado was 410, uh, set by a guy um, down the southern part of the state back in 1980. This record had held, and we've had a lot of really good distance runners in the state, and I saw a lot of attempts to break that record. And 410 may not sound real fast to people in other states, but at our altitude, I mean, that was a very respectable time. And nobody had broken this record for more than yeah. 40 years. It got broken three times last year. Holy smokes. Yeah, I and, think, and, yeah, and I think I remember talking about that last spring or early summer, you know, um, with some people about like these times that were being put down. Just amazing. Yeah. Well, Harrison Witt from Mountain Vista broke it first. It got broken back by Parker Wolf of Cherry Creek, who's now running at North Carolina. And then Harrison, who's running now at Princeton, he ran, he said it again, he ran 406. Wow. Um, I was, yeah, on so not only did here. he break it, he broke it by four seconds, not just like, you know, a half of a second or one second, but four seconds. Yeah. And again, it was, it was kind of piecemeal because they were, you know, three steps there. Um, Parker Wolf went on and broke the record for the two mile, another record mm -hmm. that had stood for a while. A girl by the name of Riley Stewart from Cherry Creek broke the girls mile record in the yeah. state. All these records fell in one year, which was pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we had, we had an episode of this show recording with, uh, with Simon Escorcio, who runs the Colorado Coyotes, that youth running program. And I remember what he told me is like, you know, his goal is obviously this is a program that is for uh, kids that are pre-high school, right? Middle, middle school ish right. age, or even a little bit younger, but it ends when they would enter their high school running career. And his whole goal is to help to help prepare these kids for their running in high school, right? Like, you know, not 
not pushing them to the point where they're getting burned out, but just to help them with like the love of the sport of running and to learn how to train appropriately and warm up and cool down appropriately, take care of your body and to start to like, in a way, kind of fall in love with running and to prepare you for high school. And, um, and yeah, if, if the kids get involved with that and that's something that they're enjoying doing, then they're probably the ones that when they do enter it in high school, Maybe they're the ones that are taking it a bit more seriously. Um, and we're seeing the like people who come in a bit more developed um, and ready for the demands to potentially stave off some of the, you know, some of the injuries and things that maybe come along with picking up running, like right when you enter high school and you've never really run before. And now you're on the cross country team and you're running miles that you've, you've never really done before. Um, that could take toll on the body. Yeah, what's interesting is a lot of people don't realize is the number one sport for injuries in high school is girls cross country. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're not the catastrophic injuries that you may have, but more so than soccer, basketball, wrestling, football, it's girls cross country. And it's mostly those overuse injuries that come from having never played the sport before and they get in there. Girls don't train over the summer, even as much as boys do. And um, as a result, they do end up with those overuse injuries. You know, I want to dive into that just a little bit and I'll, I'll circle back to this, this question of, you know, why girls versus boys, but you've been running for years. You had mentioned at the beginning, you know, you ran your first marathon and your shirt tore your skin up and you're wearing <laughs> shoes that are different than the shoes we have now with all of the technology advances that we've had in the, the gear, the apparel, the shoes, the, the knowledge, the nutrition information, all this stuff, like why do you think it is, Bill, that we still continue to see such high rates of injuries in runners um, that are that are quite frankly more than people in other sports? They're just not the catastrophic ones usually, like you alluded to. Like with all of the information and technology at our disposal, why do people continue to get hurt at such an alarming rate in the sport of running? Hey guys, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room here. Thanks again for tuning in to listen to us on the code. Really appreciate your time. And for that, I want to share a special offer from Physio Room extended to you guys. So if you want to have an opportunity to work with us at Physio Room for any fitness, performance rehab, pain relief, whatever that might be, when you reach out to us to schedule your appointment in person or virtual, we're going to offer you 20% off for being a code listener. So just be sure to mention that you heard about it on the podcast, and we will make sure to extend that offer to you. We look forward to working with you. Thank you so much, guys. I think a lot of it is education, maybe it's money, uh, the, you know, so just give you some examples. I still see pretty much just as many injuries with my teams as ever due to things like kids who wear the same shoes season after season. And you try to talk to them and say, you, you cannot wear the same pair of shoes for a year. And they're like, well, I haven't been able to get to the store or uh, it's so many excuses. Um, I, I see the nutritional aspect is really, really deficient. And I, I think more kids are growing up with um, just not, not so much bad information as just they've been pounded by the marketing in this country to eat just crap all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. I look at the track meets we've had the, this year. I look at kids in the stands and they get done with a race. And the first thing they do is opening up a bag of Doritos. I mean, right. they're not thinking about eating anything. In fact, half the time they're eating between races. I see them. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to take away those little uh, tubs of nachos from kids who are like, oh yeah, I have another race in 15 minutes. I'm like, what are you doing? 
Yeah, sure. You, you know, um, but but I think a lot of these habits continue on. And mm-hmm. you know, um, on my podcast, I talked to Ray and Alex about how when they were in college, you know, they they were athletes in high school. They went to college, and it was so convenient for them to just go to that fast food window, mm-hmm. a drive-through window. And it, it's just it's the convenience factor that people in this country don't spend enough time to think about what do I really need as fuel as opposed to what's convenient and what they see, they, they turn on a NFL game and what are all the commercials it's for, you know, Wingstop and Kentucky Pepsi Fried Chicken and, yeah. and mm-hmm. McDeaths as I call it, or Burger yeah. Killing, you know, whatever. It's just constantly pounded with all the bad food. So I think just, you know, lack of education, if you would, and mm-hmm. not blaming the people, it's what they're getting pounded with. Yeah. Um, to the contrary. So um, I, I've told this story before my podcast when you give these kids the right education, so to speak, success can happen as in not, not being injured. So my girls cross country team back when I was coaching at Platte Canyon three years ago, we took second in the state and we only had four girls on the team. And as I told these girls, nobody can get hurt or we're screwed. We had good girls, but nobody can get hurt. So we really focused on doing hip and glute strengthening twice a week. We did core work twice a week. We were working on strength training twice a week. So there was a little bit of overlap, all to stay healthy. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And and as a result, uh, nobody got hurt. We had four girls in the top 15, and we took second in the state, which Mm -hmm. was an amazing achievement for a team that the year before we'd qualified one single girl for the state meet. Yeah. So, but I think more and more adults even need to take the time like we did and put in the effort to do the ancillary exercises, things that you do quite a bit in in your work there in physio room, but uh, the ancillary exercises are what's going to keep you healthy. You can't just do what we, you know, you do when you're 20 years old, you head out the door and go run. You don't stretch, you don't do anything. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And it gets magnified as you get older, of course. Yeah. And that's like music to my ears as as someone who works with a lot of running athletes personally and our team here at physio room, um, a lot of other physical therapists, you know, work with running athletes too, or personal trainers, whatnot is, you know, start part of my thought thoughts on like, why does running have such a high instance of injury? And when I'm talking about that, we're mostly talking about endurance distance type of running, you know, not sprinting. Um, cause in any given calendar year, like what the running research would, uh, suggest is that, depending on what source you look at about 75% of runners sustain an injury in a given calendar year. And that might oh, yeah. be knee pain. That might be Achilles. That might be plantar fascia issues or hip pain or whatever. Um, and then in their lifetime, the lifetime incidence of running injuries is 90%, which means 90% of runners over the course of their running career will sustain some type of running related injury. And I don't mean just like, you know, they're walking down their stairs at home and they, slip and they fall and they hurt their hip. I'm talking about running related injuries. And, um, a lot of those individuals, you know, if they're not part of a team or they're not like super dedicated to it, they don't go back to running. They like that running injury Mm. derails their running career. The research would suggest that's about 40% of people don't return to running. Um, and you know, the 40% that do, or the the 60% that do are the ones that are like, that's, that's what they're really invested in. They really love doing it. I think one of the reasons that, running related injuries are so high is I still see t-shirts that say this. And I used to say this when I was in high school, like my sport running is your sports punishment type thing, right? (laughs) Like in a lot of other sports running or, or, you know, cardio type of stuff, conditioning is viewed as, you know, something that you do on top of your other sport. 
or running is mm-hmm. viewed as something that like we just inherently should know how to do. Like it's it's not it doesn't mm-hmm. require as much training and practice as as playing basketball or playing baseball or something like that, like shooting free throws, you, you know, usually the more intentional you are about practicing them, probably the better you will get at them. Well, that's no different with running. I think people just take running as like a for granted type of thing. Like everyone knows how to run. uh, And that's just simply not true. Um, Now I don't believe that there is any one specific ideal running form or running technique that, you know, people can be successful with a lot of different running gates, But a lot of times we see people use running as a method to get themselves in shape. And when I hear that, like someone's like, you know, I'm, I am not a fan of these like couch to 5k type of programs and type stuff. And it's not because I don't want people to get moving and and go do a 5k and whatever. It's because I know that the chances that they get hurt doing that are really, really high Running, in my my view, should not be used as the way that you're going to get yourself in shape. I think running is much better served being an activity that you do when you already have some base level of fitness. And that should come through, in my opinion, some of the things you talked about, strength training, eating proper things. like Because otherwise, if you don't, running is such a highly repetitive activity that you're likely to get hurt doing it. Um, if you don't have the requisite strength and mobility and things to tolerate the demands of running. So I don't know, that's where I kind of go on that. And when you say you were having those girls do strength training twice a week and do a ancillary hip stability and whatnot, like that's just like beams of joy run through my head. I'm just like, yes, thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much. Because, you know, that's what we see is people who put in the work to do the extra stuff, the strength training eat right, get appropriate sleep, usually are the ones who are relatively injury-free. Their bodies can tolerate the demands of running better. And then as a result, they reap the rewards of their performance improves in in the running. Yeah. And you know what you're describing, Andrew, is basically creating a lifestyle, which is what's going to lead to success, say, if you're trying to lose weight. You know, anybody who's put on a lot of weight and has tried to lose it has told stories about, oh, I lost 50 pounds and put on 50 pounds, lost mm-hmm. 50. And it's a yo-yo thing because they didn't change their lifestyle. They merely went on some fad diet that they said showed great results initially. And then they got away from that. But until they actually changed their lifestyle, it not, nothing's going to be permanent. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing what you're alluding to here with running too, is that uh, until you develop that running lifestyle, you're going to go out and first time you get hurt, you're going to quit. Yeah. And and it's, it's the same thing as quitting on your weight loss program. Mm-hmm. So until you adopt the lifestyle that you're going to do all those things that you need to do, you're not going to be able to run successfully in the long term. Yeah, that's for sure. So, so sorry, I went on a little rant there. Like, thank, <laughs> I think running injuries is like a, you know, it, it's a big issue. It's they're very prevalent. Um, you know, partially that, that keeps us in business, but like, it's not about the money at the end of the day. It's about educating people how they can enjoy this as part of their lifestyle. And um, so you had mentioned that you sort of see in, in school that, you know, maybe there's not as much training happening over the summer, uh, particularly maybe more with the girls than the boys in your coaching experience. Why, why do you think that is? Again, it's the uh, conflicts these kids have in their schedules. I mean, yeah. 
Um, I coached at a school recently, a few years ago, where I was amazed uh, because of the pandemic, actually, we had to keep down the numbers that we could have at a summer practice. The kids actually had to sign up and we were filled all the time. It was really, really cool to see that many kids showing up all the time. Um, you, you take a school like Mountain Vista or Arapahoe, I'll see them out on the trails in the summertime. Yeah. It was like just dozens and dozens, a hundred kids, whatever. And it's great when you see that, but the majority of schools I've been at, it's a struggle getting those kids out there. And what it often comes down to is the family isn't committed to the lifestyle either. You know, they're, they're, well, we're on vacation all summer or, um, you know, the kids got to work. And, it, you know, I tell these kids, you know, it's like, you know, that we're going to run at 7 a.m., Every day, you know, Monday through Friday, tell your employer that, hey, I will I will be there at nine o'clock or whatever. But if the kid isn't committed to that, then it's not going to happen. And quite often, again, it comes from the family. The family's got higher priorities. You might see families all the time that like will take family vacations, not during spring break. Mm -hmm. So they'll so it's like, okay, now the kid has missed, you know, that week of training. They've missed, you know, spring break. And, you know, again, the kid's not going to get out of that season what they should. Yeah. And you see that even during the summer. And again, if they don't put in the summer miles, they're going to show up. And um, as coaches, we either have to bring them along super slowly and they're never going to achieve what they should have been able to achieve. Or some coaches are going to just launch them right into the same program with other kids and get the kid injured. Well, and that's one thing that, you know, and obviously this is not the coach's fault, uh, you know, that they maybe weren't participating fully in the summer training program. but. Um, I think a lot of times, particularly high school or middle school or whatever, like, you know, coaches are kind of put in between a rock and a hard place where they usually don't have the full bandwidth to be able to manage like all these different people's running kind of um, uh, levels, right? Like if some kids did the summer program and some didn't, those kids should not be running the same number of miles at the beginning of the season. But it's hard for the coaches, like, you know, you can't be in two places at once type of thing. You're often dealing with like, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids that, you know, you don't want to necessarily send these ones off on their own and these ones off on their own. And we see that, like we see kids come into the start of the season and they get their volume ramped up really fast in some cases. And if they didn't do that summer training program, their body isn't able to tolerate that. We see a lot of kids coming in the clinic with knee pain, shin splints, like what, whatever the injury is that like you name it, we see it, throw a dart at a board and you're going to hit it. Um, but you know, that's part of it. I was talking with, um, some, some other colleagues on this. Uh, I do some assistant teaching for a clinical education company called ICE, uh, the Institute for Clinical Excellence. And we were talking about running rehab injuries in this one woman, she's a physical therapist. She has a client who's in middle school and he's coming in the clinic with, uh, what sounds like it band syndrome pain there on the outside of the knee. And, um, like the second day of practice, she said that the coach had them run five miles and, um, that the next, like the next week they were running 10 miles, like in, in a run, this was either high wow. school or middle school. And it was just like the ramping up of the volume was like way faster than what the re research would suggest you should do from an injury perspective. Right. And this kid happened to be one of the ones that did not fully do the summer training program. And, um, you know, it's, it's just not surprising to us as rehab providers that they get hurt. So, so yeah, it just, um, it's crazy, but I think, you know, um, I think it's not always like the coach's fault because they, they have a lot of students that they're trying to manage. You can only modify so many ways. It's like, 
So what do you do? Yeah, a lot of it is going to fall back on the, the families and the lifestyle and stuff like that. And um, I don't think I ever took a, you know, my family didn't do like a ton of vacations, but I never did anything for spring break. I wasn't one of these like, you know, Panama City Beach party in spring break type thing because I was in the middle of track season. Uh, There was, there was no spring break. It's time for track. So, um, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't happen. There's so many families whose priorities are elsewhere. You know, it's like, Hey, we want to take a family ski vacation. And, you know, I preach to these kids all the time. I said, you're on vacation. There is always time to run. You know, there was oh, coach. I was too busy. You know, it's like, no, you get up early and you go run before things start, you know, the family gatherings take place or or whatever. There's almost always, but I understand sometimes you're on a ski vacation or maybe you're going to go hike the Grand Canyon or something. You know, yeah, at least you're getting some exercise, but yeah, again, it has a lot to do with that family's priorities and everything Mm -hmm. out there and how much they support the kids. And a lot of families are kind of on either side of that. Yeah. The, the schedules, like you mentioned, um, are just crazy. Like with, the schedules that these students are trying to juggle between home life, school work, like school life, school work, sports, clubs, activities, instruments, art, all this stuff. And, you know, sometimes like the field availability or track availability in some of these sports and whatnot too. I had this client last summer who was a lacrosse player. Uh, They played lacrosse for the school, played lacrosse for club in addition to school. And because of like where they practiced and when the field was available, I remember he told me, I think he said it was either seven to nine or it was eight until 10, maybe it was seven to 9 PM was when they were practicing because that's Mm. when the field was available to that particular lacrosse program. And I was just like, my jaw kind of dropped at that because like, man, 9 PM. I'm like going to bed at that time. So, um, <laughs> nine, nine 30, I'm asleep. So, uh, I was just like, wow. So you're practicing until then. And then by the time you drive home, wind down, go to sleep, who knows what time it is. Then you got to wake up dinner, in the, right. Yeah. You got to wake up in the morning for school. And it's just like, oh man, like I was just so used to, I know I didn't do any like club sports or anything growing up. I, I played sports outside of school, like during the summer and stuff, but my main sports during the school year, I went from football to wrestling to track. And, um, I was, uh, I was just so used to like, I would go to school practice was right after school, come home, do my schoolwork, eat dinner, go to, go to bed type of thing. Um, occasionally there would be like morning practices and whatnot, but I didn't have like clubs that I was trying to juggle. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing the schedules that are out there now, and it poses a real challenge for um, oh, yeah. you know, some of the injuries and and things that we see, uh, I think, as a result. Yeah, and I think that there's maybe another component in there also uh, is even the stress level these yes. kids go through because of it. Um, I, I got a boy on my team right now who is just an awesome young man who uh, he just set our school record in the 400. And uh, he's one of the top runners in the 800 in the state right now, but he's also involved in so many things, particularly he's in student government. And I remember last fall when they had the homecoming dance coming and he was telling me like, oh yeah, coach, I had to stay up for another two hours because such and such decorations for the dance wasn't getting done. And so I, you know, I had to get, I said, no, it didn't. You know, these kids at this age don't necessarily have the organizational skills and they don't have the wherewithal to say no to something. I said, Hey, you know what? If those decorations don't get done, they don't get done. You know, it's like, um, you know, just because somebody else didn't do the work they were supposed to um, doesn't mean you have to take it all on your on your own. And Oof, I have no, a hard time. Said, with nobody, that too. 
Yeah, exactly. So he doesn't say no very easily to things like that. I mean, you know, bless his heart. He, he feels committed to something and yeah. he wants it to be done. Well, I, I totally get it, but he's got so many things going on. I've had to tell him like, you just need to go to bed. You know, like this is not mm-hmm. going to do you any good, whether it's athletically or in your schoolwork or whatever. And you just need to de-stress, you know, mm-hmm. things, things will work out. Things at that homecoming dance would have gone just fine. Nobody would have noticed those decorations yeah. weren't there. I'm sure. But um, yeah, and we, so these kids have so many things going on like that, that um, it, it is cutting into, and again, they're grabbing some fast food to eat. They're not getting the rest they need. And all those kind of things, as you know, contributes to prevalence of injuries. Fortunately, mm-hmm. this kid has stayed very healthy, which has been great. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're totally right. And I, I think it's worse now than it was when I was in school in the uh, in high school in the you know mid to late 2000s. Um, I graduated from high school in 2008 nine um because there's there's just so much stuff right there's like you're constantly tuned in to social media and like i only had a cell phone for half of my high school career high school life um like when i started driving i didn't have a cell phone i was taking one of my parents two cell phones with me so that i had a phone while i was while i was out driving somewhere just so well, I you were lucky yeah i was still carrying around a stone tablet <laughs> <laughs> chiseling in the, the messages. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's, signals, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just, um, I think the demands that are put on the kids now are greater than they were before. Um, you know, the expectations that are put on them and all of the different sports and activities, um, that they're involved in, in school, out of school. Um, you know, they just, they just cut into that time and we all only have so much time in the day. So yeah, I, I think, um, it's amazing to see some of them trying to juggle these things. Um, and I try to think back to, you know, when I was in school and, uh, it just seemed like it was a little easier, even though I was, I was super busy also. Um, you know, I just hear some of the stories now and I'm like, man, I don't know how you guys do it. Nope. I mean, we never even carried a uh, day planner around with us when I was in high school, you know, a Mm -hmm. calendar, maybe people aren't old enough to remember day planners, but um, but, you know, obviously people have calendars on their phones and everything. If I had an appointment in a week, I knew what, when it was, you know, it's like these kids now got to carry a whole thing with them because they can't keep track of all of it. Too much. Yeah. There's so much. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think that's kind of a, a fun conversation that we just had there and, if, if anybody listening to this has some uh, suggestions for solutions, um, I'm, I'm all for hearing them. And I, I'm sure some of the schools and whatnot would too, because one of the things that adds, adds to this a little bit is what we're seeing in some of this like health and wellness related research is teenagers specifically, since we're talking about kids, you know, their body's natural circadian rhythm and clock and whatnot would suggest that, you know, they function better a little bit later in the day. Um, and there are some of these schools out there that are starting a little bit later, starting more in like the 9am range instead of the 7:30am range or whatever. And some of these research articles and stuff will show that like, um, kids grades will be higher in the mid, mid morning and later afternoon type of classes compared to the early morning classes. And, but that poses a challenge with transportation and, uh, parents work schedules. If they're dropping kids off at school and bus schedules and like, sports schedules and like, you know, I don't know what the right answer is. How do you, how do you help them get more sleep function at the optimal time of day and still juggle all of these roles and responsibilities? I I don't know. 
Yeah, and you know, uh, we I had a brief conversation about this uh, a couple of weeks ago in our program about how they're talking in Jefferson County schools about starting later mm-hmm. next year. Well, that impacts the time you start practice. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, you know, when we're starting practice in early March, it's before the clocks have been turned forward, and of course, it's you know the sun is uh, days are shorter anyway. Um, we're thinking, okay, it's going to be pitch dark. You know, so I'm not quite sure how we're going to handle that. I mean, a lot of teams are going to have to figure that out a little bit, too. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But, you know, going back to that, the topic as well is I had a kid on my team the other day who was freaking out over the fact that he'd lost his spikes. Nobody could find them. I mean, they were probably around somewhere, but he is freaking out. And I said, look, you got to settle down and just focus on this workout right now. All right. Well, you, you can run this in your trainers. Um, and that I think is an important thing for kids and even parents to learn that mm-hmm. when you're out there on the track or you're out there, you know, out in the trails or roads, wherever you're running, you got to focus and be in the present with what you're doing right there. The only way to succeed in that workout is to be focusing on the workout right then, instead yeah. of worrying about where your shoes are or what you're making for dinner, or, you know, you got to go home and pay your bill, whatever. And it's the same thing that, you know, I told kids too. It's like, when you go home to your homework, forget about how you ran today or, you know, anything that happened in track, there's nothing you can do about that right now. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can't show up at track practice worrying about, Oh yeah, my, my mom was mad at me this morning. I forgot to bring my lunch to school today. I mean, all, all these other extraneous things you can't affect. You got to put a fence around it basically. And just tell these kids, you got to focus on this workout right now. That's yeah. the only way to succeed in that workout. Otherwise you're, you're going to wreck that too. And just make yeah. worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. And it's like, I love the the phrase control the controllables type of thing. And at that moment, some of those other things that you might be stressed and worried about, they're not, you can't control that right now. Like that's not right. in your control. You can go home and take care of those things afterwards. You can chat, chat with your parents about the fight that you had in the morning when you get to see them and all this stuff, but like what's in your control right now, that's what we can focus on. And I know that's something that even I struggle with of trying to stay like focused on, you know, my different things, one thing at a time and not try to do multitask all the time. And what I've had to do, even like while we're recording this, uh, this episode here, I turn the, you know, turn the distractions off, turn the notifications off on the phone and the computer and the whatnot. And I I noticed that that's something that I have to do is like turn the volume off to put the phone away, like whatever that is, um, in order to try and try and stay focused. And that was something that like when I was not necessarily with the distractions, but just my, my mental state and my energy level and focus and all of that, when I was running in uh, track in high school and in college, I used to get, you know, before races and stuff, I used to get like really pumped up. Right. Cause I'm like this football player, I'm running around hitting people and stuff. <laughs> and I'm getting all jazzed up. Well, I used to do like a really thorough warm up before each one of my races, I'd be like, you know, just jumping up and down, like getting all jazzed up. And then it wasn't until I think like in my college career where I was working with some of the other, um, other athletes that were older than me. And they had sort of suggested like, Andrew, chill, like (laughs) cool it just a little bit. Like, you don't, you don't need to run these like eight accelerations before your race and all this stuff. Like you already warmed up thoroughly for this other one, just go through a part of your warm-up routine. You're, you know, you've been moving the whole time, you know, calm down. So then I would start to, you know, whether I would play like different music in my headphones or there were some meets in college. I remember like 
you weren't allowed to have headphones because they, they didn't want kids like being on the track, not hearing, uh, you know, someone yell track and they're, they're getting in the way of the races and stuff. So like there were some races where headphones were not allowed. Um, and until I finally like learned to like, just chill a little bit and just focus on, on the race that's right before me, I ran faster times. Right. I'm just like, cause I'm not trying to like get all jazzed up and you know, I'm just, so that kind of, to me is what I think about when you, when you were talking about that is like, focus on what you can control and everything else will take care of itself after you take care of what you've got to do right now in front of you. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I can't tell you how many times in our track meets this spring, I've heard kids after the race say, you know, I asked them about it and they go better warm up. I mean, most of my kids are not warming up nearly enough, especially with this crappy weather we've had. Mm. It, it is amazing how kids are just space cases out there. They're not aware of what's going on and they're not warming up and they're basically jumping on the track, having, you know, jumped around for five minutes. And then usually, as you know, before the start of the race, they're standing around some anyway, because, there is. you know, they're getting all set up, uh, situated out on the track. So it is, it is pretty funny how poorly those kids do warm up or, yeah. or they're eating nachos between the races. Yeah, no nachos. <laughs> I always, I always hated that when you would like get warmed up and then the officials would, would make you have to stand and wait. And it's always a little bit challenging where you have some of these meets, um, particularly in track where like some of them are time-based meets, like where certain races are going to start at certain times on the clock. And then other ones have like a rolling schedule where it's like, well, it just depends how fast these other heats go. Um, right. and there's a little bit of wiggle room there. So it's, it's sometimes tough to figure out like, okay, when should I start my warm up and whatnot? Um, but I know one thing that we always tried to battle and I know obviously the weather has been a little bit different here, but when it's warm, probably towards the end of the season or, or beginning of the season cross country, um, our coaches in college, were always trying to like, talk to us about like, dude, I know you want to cheer on your teammates, but you know, track is a team and individual sport. Like we need all of you guys to perform, to be able to support each other. And yes, you want to cheer on your teammates, but you can't be standing out there in the sun for hours and hours and hours oh, yeah. all day long too. Like, you know, if you're running the, you know, the two mile or something like a race, that's like towards the end of the meet, at least in our case, the two mile was towards the end of the meet in high school in Wisconsin. Um, you know, if you're standing out there in the sun for hours and you just get zapped, your energy gets zapped. And then you may not perform how you're capable of performing. Um, so it's like, how do you, how do you balance some of that? It's tough. Yeah. It's a particular problem in the spring because it's the first time it's been warm and these kids will want to lay out and turn into lobsters. You, yeah. know? you know, I mean, first of all, uh, there's the skin cancer risk, you know, I mean, I grew up in an era where uh, we didn't know how bad the sun was, how it was going to affect us later on. Just like my parents' generation, they were, they were smoking because, you know, there was no thought about there's a harm, harm to smoking. Well, my generation, we didn't think there was a bad thing to lay out there and get like brutal sunburns, especially yeah. being on Long Island, where we'd go to the beach and just get fried. And uh, of course, you know, you know, nobody put on sunscreen. Now it's the same thing. These kids have the same kind of attitude. They're like, Hey, I, I need some color here. And they're going to lay out in the sun mm -hmm. and they're not even thinking about, it. you're right. It's going to zap them. So I'm constantly hurting these kids back on, you know, we all have canopies at these, at these meets, hurting them under into the shade, telling them to wear their sweats. I mean, I know it's hot out. I know, you know, you'd rather be out there in your shorts, but you got to cover up. And yeah. that, it's always been a big thing trying to get these kids to not sit out in the sun uh, especially in the, uh, in the spring when it's warm for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And, you know, especially out here in Colorado with the elevation compared to 
where I'm from a little bit, basically more, more close to sea level and in Southeastern Wisconsin, right there, like same level as Lake Michigan and whatnot, um, is you get burned real fast out here with this 5,000 plus feet of elevation and, um, being so close to the sun, the weather, like the temperature feels a lot hotter than what, what the thermostat would suggest, um, because you're getting roasted by the sun. Yeah. And plus we're dry. So you're not sweating as much. Yeah. You you miss out on that. And, uh, you know, so many of us actually have great tans through the winter here and they think we've gone to uh, Cancun or something, but really we were skiing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're just there. Um, well no. So yeah, you're totally, this conversation has been like, we hit the nail on the head here with some of the challenges that are presented. Um, and some of the, you know, things that these kids in this case have to battle. Um, so then, Bill, I know you have a podcast that you run that you took over as well. And I want to make sure you get a chance to kind of plug that on this show. Um, I, know, I know that's not necessarily all about running, but you do talk to a lot of people. And I'm sure I know you talk about running on there. Um, but will you tell us what your podcast is is about? And um, it may encourage some people to want to tune in to listen to some of your episodes, too. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Andrew. And really, I hope if somebody's tuning in, they're looking for some inspiration because that's really a lot of what the We Are Superman podcast is all about. So the background of it is uh, David Clark was a really good friend of mine. He was once a 320-pound, drug-addicted, fast-food junkie alcoholic who hit rock bottom, so to speak, and turned himself into this 160-pound endurance powerhouse. He he did just amazing, amazing stuff. ran 48 hours straight on a treadmill, um, ran with a group of people across the country. He ran Badwater a couple times. That's the 135-mile race in Death Valley in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, just did all this incredible stuff. Uh, rode his fat tire bike from Chicago to New York through six NHL cities to support the NHL Fights Cancer campaign, doing all this in January. So, um, And David got out there. I mean, he wrote several books. He was on the uh, doctor's TV show. He was uh, in social media and huge, huge inspiration to so many people out there. It was just incredible how he touched people. And the guy had just wisdom beyond belief. And so um, I was helping him uh, record his, the audio book for his last book, which was called eat shit and die as in you eat shit, you will die. And um, I edited his uh, last two books and, um, he was having really severe back pain, ended up going in for surgery and never came out. Mm. Uh, it was the most messed up thing I've ever seen. This was in May of 2020. So um, I picked up coaching his group of runners who were uh, all f- former obese, formerly obese addicts, alcoholics who were training then to run races and be, adopt healthier lifestyles themselves. Um, I picked up his uh, um, American Heroes Run, which is a series of races he does. He did every September in Longmont, Colorado, just north of, of Denver, um, has races everywhere from 5K up to 100 miles. And it's all 9-11 themed. It's, mm. um, uh, he's got races uh, from, like, say, 5K. He's got one that's 9.11 miles, another race that's a nine hours and 11 minutes. And one race starts when the first plane hit the first tower of the World Trade Center. Another one starts when the second plane hit the second uh, tower. Okay. Another one starts when the plane hit the Pentagon and so on. So um, all, you know amazing races. The theme of it is patriotism without politics. So mm-hmm. something most people can embrace. So yeah, I picked up uh, keeping that. the, yeah, keeping the, the race going. I've done that the last couple of years. That'll be coming up again uh, near September 11th of this year. And you then have to um, run that. 
Yeah, no, it's very cool. Please come out. It's uh, it's a really a great event. We honor first responders and military veterans and service people, and uh, the victims of nine yeah. eleven. So, it, can you can you say the name, Bill, of that event again, in case someone wants to uh, check that out and uh, try to come and come attend and participate in that in September? Absolutely, it's the American Heroes Run, and you can go to Ultra Sign Up to sign up for the race. And of course, uh, if you Google that or whatever, you can search for it and find it as well. So it's the American Heroes Run. And this year, I believe the dates are September 9th and 10th. So in Longmont, just east of Boulder. And uh, and then the another piece that, uh, you know, getting back to your question is, is the We Are Superman podcast, which David had started. And I have continued the theme of bringing in people who have generally inspirational stories coming back from uh, serious injuries or ac- illnesses, uh, obesity, addictions, and have gone on to do incredible things, whether it's running across the country or running races or climbing Mount Everest, whatever it is. So uh, I hope people who decide to tune in uh, will, will be inspired. We, we've got some great stories out there. I do some personal commentary as well. A lot of it, ha- it involves just running tips. And um, you know, even this week, it was basically about uh, take a leap of faith. You know, sometimes people don't want to get off that couch and it's sometimes yeah. you have to get out there, whether it is try training, just start or, you know, get into that ultra marathon you were thinking of, or maybe it's, you know, getting your life moving in a different direction. So I have those kind of personal commentaries. I call them power plays because mm-hmm. kind of tie in the hockey connection there a little bit. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I've had some really inspirational guests, everybody from, you know, like Dean Carnassus to, um, I, you know, I, I always think of this guy named Stan Cottrell, who was on last summer, who was running across the country from LA to DC, 30 miles every day for a hundred days. And he's 78 years old. Ooh. Yeah. So, you know, just, so, yeah, like I said, a lot of inspirational stories. So if people want to, you know, f- hear some stories and you can go back, uh, you know, there's a couple hundred episodes out there now of people who've done incredible things. Uh, you know, I hope they'll, they'll find it. Uh, it's on iTunes, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. If you, if you want to hear some of those stories, I've, I've had the opportunity to tune in to listen to a couple on the, we are Superman podcast. They are amazing. Bill does an awesome job. Um, David was doing an awesome job with that show. And if, um, like, like Bill sort of mentioned, if you're looking for some coaching or looking for some, someone to bounce some ideas off of for some expertise, absolutely reach out to Bill. And if someone wanted to do that, Bill, how can, uh, how can someone get in contact with you? What's the best way for, uh, for them to reach you? Uh, several ways, um, besides running into me on a trail somewhere, um, or if you just show up at a local Colorado, uh, high school track meet, you probably see Bill standing out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm either out there coaching or I'm wearing one of those, what I call human highlighter shirts. So, you know, I'm fluorescent orange or green because I also work as a track meet official, a lot yeah. of meets, but, um, best email is silly underscore Billy. So S I L L Y underscore B I L L Y at MSN.com. Or you can hit me up on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Stahlor. It's S T A H L O R. And you just message me on one of those as well. Awesome. Awesome. You guys, if uh, you have any questions from this episode or about if you maybe know someone who's had an amazing inspirational story that would be great to connect with Bill for his podcast, please make sure you reach out and do that. Um, Again, thank you all so much. We're going to wind this down, but thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of The Code with Bill Stahl talking about 
running and, you know, high school athletes and balancing their amazing schedules. Um, and then listening a bit about Bill's experience as a coach and as a runner himself and, um, in all of his endeavors, Bill, thank you so much for your time this morning, uh, here in mid April for joining us on the code. This has been a really fun conversation. You're welcome, though. My pleasure. I've enjoyed chatting and I hope we can continue chatting much more in the future. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. You guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode of The Code.